and welcome to Conscious Thinking, the podcast for the Conscious Advertising Network. I'm your host, Ete Davies, Chief Operating Officer at Dentsu Creative. In the wake of the US midterms and recent shock decisions with regards to Roe versus Wade from the Supreme Court, and also the unfortunately ever-present spectre of politically motivated violence, we'll be using this episode to discuss what role brands and advertising more broadly has to play in public discourse on social and political issues. We'll be exploring what's next for brand activism and examining political advertising in the US. Joining me in conversation are Ambika Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Mechanism, a US-based creative agency, Claire Atkin, brand safety advocate and co-founder of Check My Ads Institute, the ad tech industry's first and only watchdog, Doug Gordon, co-founder of Upshift Strategies, which is a strategic communications company that's also based in the US. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. It's fair to say it's been an eventful few weeks for all three of you. There's a lot to unpick, I'm sure, across the uh, election results that are still uh, unfolding and it's, you know, potential impact on legislature and policy across the US over the next few years. But sort of getting straight to it, Ambika, across the big ticket political campaign areas, such as reproductive and civil rights, gun control, wealth redistribution, political violence, environmental protections... Have you observed any brands standing out in regards to their engagement and their commentary on these social issues? I think more so than specific examples of brands, there are a few trends and kind of big picture learnings that were really important. I mean, overarchingly, 2022, uh, the midterm elections were the most expensive ever. You know, $6.4 billion were poured into TV, radio, and digital advertising. And, you know, while we're still kind of confirming ad spend for brands during that time period, experts are saying that it also over-indexed and was very high during that time. And what's so interesting about this is that 20 years ago, brands wouldn't have even touched the space of political advertising or really put stakes in the ground around um, politically charged beliefs. They were much, much more conservative. But as we all know here, Gen Z, millennials, these are increasingly socially conscious generations that are really expecting brands to have a voice in a way that brands weren't expected to previously. We've also seen from you know, when social media sort of blew the doors open on all of these brands, brands are held accountable in a way where they've never been held accountable before. And so what was interesting to me and what I've really noticed about the midterms in particular is it's those brands that have a predominantly Gen Z, millennial, or actually female user base that tended to come out of the woodwork the most. Um, so we saw a lot of beauty brands. We saw a lot of fashion brands. And then there were brands that are organically entrenched in things like environmental justice, um, climate change, reproductive rights that also were, were very outspoken around the elections. But it was because they're so clear about their political point of view that it wouldn't damage their business to be open about it. People sort of know that of them uh, to begin with. So one macro learning is that brands that have this predominantly Gen Z millennial or female user base or brands that are organically entrenched in these political issues like environmental justice have really come to the forefront. The second really interesting thing I noticed is that there were a lot of partnerships that came into play. Tons of collaborations between fashion brands in particular and nonprofits. So we saw Social Goods partner with When We All Vote, The Great and Suit Shop partner with I Am a Voter, Argent 
uh, partner with Supermajority. And these are collaborations where these brands were actually just able to piggyback on the equity of these bipartisan nonprofits. So they're not saying anything politically loaded, but by partnering with the nonprofit, they're encouraging people to vote and really kind of taking a stance that voting is part of the brand's DNA without choosing one side or the other. And then again, in the socially entrenched space, we have brands like REI and Patagonia. They were both part of the Time to Vote campaign um, and were giving paid time off to their employees for their employees to go vote. Uh, we saw this trend in the advertising space as well. But in terms of sort of a big grand act or one brand that really takes the cake, Yvonne giving Patagonia to the earth, uh, air quotes, as, as he's been saying, and giving all of that money to a trust and nonprofit organization that was specifically created to combat climate change and protect the underdeveloped land around the globe, that is you know, even though it was a little bit before the midterms, it was in September, but that is the most powerful sort of political statement we have seen near the elections this year, probably for, for multiple years to come, because that is truly putting money where your mouth is, right? It's very clear about the brand's political stance. It is not purpose washing or political washing, if you will. It is, you know, a brand action that speaks loudly enough for the brand to really not have to say anything and still be known as as a brand really taking a stand. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point as you say, you know, Patagonia long established and the points you made around the authenticity of the brand's role relative to oh, and its communications relative to the issues at a core to its purpose and its, you know, commercial structure as a business, but also its its follow through uh, on those actions. And there were Two points you mentioned, which well, one I want to sort of go back to. You said you know brands piggybacking on the debate or the discourse that was there, and you know the the partnerships. Are, are we there? I say another form of you know sort of washing where we're seeing a bit of politics washing, whereby it's impossible to stay neutral. So how do you engage without picking a side? Are we? Is some of that is what you're starting to see? Do you think? Absolutely. It's so interesting when you look at really big brands like Amazon, Microsoft, these brands are actually just silently investing on the back end and silently donating money to their parties in the back end. And the numbers are actually more equal than probably any of us would want in terms of how much money is being poured into the Democrats and how much is being poured into the Republicans. But those brands just have such a heavy stake in middle America and have such a heavy stake among populations that are not the most progressive populations that they truly cannot take a stance. It'll be such a big blow to their business. So in that sense, we're seeing a lot of those brands sort of, again, silently donate in the background, silently support in the background. On the flip side, we're seeing what I would venture to say are slightly more niche brands, more modern brands and contemporary brands that don't have the luxury also of isolating certain parts of the population, right? Because that could, for all intents and purposes, just fully pull them under, but what they're doing, which I think is compelling, is one, either giving a voice to the consumer, so almost taking campaign platforms, which are like, I vote because blank, and letting consumers sort of fill in their own reasons and rationale for voting, or they are simply encouraging people to vote. So there isn't much choosing sides happening here, but there is a deep acknowledgement that 
we all need to be aware and we all need to be out there voting for very personal reasons, which I think these brands are bringing to light. Probably a question for all of you, but I'll, I'll sort of start with, I mean, I guess it's impossible to talk about political advertising and brand activism without Twitter, uh, you know, being in the conversation, given the platform's pivotal role in political and public discourse. And Elon Musk is quoted as, well, recently quoted as saying that the sudden sharp drop in revenues for Twitter was uh, due to activists uh, suppressing free speech. Now, without getting drawn into the shenanigans that are going on at, uh, at Twitter and the quagmire that appears to be its ever-evolving business strategy, do you think his comments indicate a lack of understanding of Twitter's advertising revenue model, or albeit comparatively small compared to the other uh, platforms, and just modern advertising and brand safety more generally? Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for having me and Check My Ads here. Check My Ads is the ad tech watchdog. So what we're really talking about is the fact that this 400 to $700 billion digital advertising economy holds our entire media ecosystem. Okay, this is the economy that powers the internet. And it's also the economy that powers things like disinformation. And the reason that's happening is because ad tech has co-opted control away from advertisers. So advertisers are putting out their campaigns. They've put all of their efforts into making the right copy, making the right design, putting focus groups together. They've put months of work into the messaging. And then at the very last minute, ad tech has taken these campaigns and strewn them across the internet and is funding disinformation against the will of the advertisers. Advertisers have said again and again, they want nothing to do with racism, with bigotry, with xenophobia, with lies that lead to violence. And that's really the conversation that Elon Musk just does not seem to understand at Twitter. I mean, he has said over and over again, He's interested in free speech. Well, so are we. We're interested in the free speech of advertisers. We believe that advertisers should have control over where their campaigns end up, and they shouldn't have to contend with the kinds of rhetoric that are pulling down their brand equity, making society a worse place, and undermining our elections. Absolutely. I mean, if he continues in the direction, does it spell the end of the platform for, for, for advertisers? Because it, it seems that um, his strategy, um, to your point, doesn't actually allow it to be a safe place for brands and you know their consumers and, and wider audiences to sort of interact in safety and support free speech. I know there's the GARM charter and that could also be used to hold him accountable. But what, what do you think it holds for the future? Like what pressure can be placed on not just Musk and Twitter, but actually other platforms that decide to go down similar routes? Yes, you mentioned the GARM charter. So the Global Alliance for Responsible Media is the standard that the global advertising industry has set for what they call the brand safety floor. That is, the bar is on the floor when it comes to brand safety. So they're not talking about wishy-washy Democratic versus Republican politics. They're not talking about left versus right. They're saying, here are the things that we will not, under any circumstances, advertise next to, given control of our campaigns. And what they're talking about is the insensitive or irresponsible publication of sensitive social issues among things like drugs or violence. And so what we're dealing with here is the myths, the lies that are causing real world violence. And 
if Twitter starts to get less and less brand safe, I think it will signify the end of the platform. Advertising revenue currently makes up 90% of Twitter's revenue. And this is devastating to society. Twitter is one of the places where local activists, where journalists, where media can hold people who are in power accountable. And I think that whether or not Twitter survives is going to make or break a lot of whether or not we can hold people accountable for abuses of power. I hope that it doesn't. I hope that there is some kind of solution. But as it's standing right now, it's nose diving straight into the gutter. Mm. And I can see that you're in agreement with this, Ambika, as well. And I question to you and also to you, Claire, is that to a certain extent, sort of the era that we're living in, uh, you know, consumer activism is driving quite a lot in terms of brand activism. There isn't necessarily that much awareness, I guess, you know, in terms of everything you've described with regards to ad tech and its influence really or you know its relationship with regards to advertisers and you know currently consumers will target a lot of their activism to everything that they experience on from the consumer end from the brands do you think that lack of awareness or that naivety around the sort of role of ad technology is part of the reason change doesn't happen quickly enough or actually are consumers aware but it's just so complex that they don't know where to start to exert the pressure to be holding platforms and ad technology more more accountable. The technology platforms that support the advertising ecosystem, there are thousands of these companies and it sort of sits as Russian dolls inside a system that if you look at it closely, looks a lot like the bundling system of mortgages ahead of the subprime mortgage crisis. Okay, so we've got publishers, basically inventory, bundled in ever-increasing obscurity so that they can get access to advertising dollars. Now, this is not just about money. The advertising world gives three things to publishers. It gives legitimacy to have ads on the page. It gives money, of course, and propaganda doesn't need very much money. And it gives data, the personal identifiable information of internet users. So we're talking about a system that is like a a machine for propaganda. It is a it is a weapon of propaganda. This is going to affect everyone. I mean, it is making and breaking our media ecosystem. We are in what some people have called a disinformation crisis, what others are calling an infodemic. America has lost 30,000 local journalism jobs in the last decade. We know that at least $2.6 billion is going to the bottom of the barrel disinformation ecosystem. That's not including things like Fox News, people who are actively lying to cause election disinformation. We are dealing with a complete breakdown of our media ecosystem at the hands of these ad tech companies. And our line at Check My Ads is that if ad tech doesn't clean up this mess, if ad tech doesn't do better business, all consumers are going to know about exactly who is running the show and how to hold them accountable. Ooh, this is heavy. I mean, it is truly terrifying. I mean, hearing Claire speak, I'm both so inspired and simultaneously scared for our collective future because so much of the information we all need access to is coming from independent thinkers, social media influencers, you know, journalists and reporters on the ground who may not have huge affiliations. So 
to go to places like Twitter and Instagram, historically, that is where so many of us have gotten information as global citizens in a way that can actually have widespread impact in a way that people who have power now, and I'm putting air quotes behind that because, you know, people have platforms just as much as brands these days can really engage in in global crises in a way we've never been able to. And to all of a sudden not know what is true and what is false, to not know whether there's an ulterior motive or who is truly behind the voice who is speaking is really scary. And Claire talked about the complete breakdown of our media infrastructure. And I don't think that could be more true. I think we're truly in a state of crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'd be really keen to get your take, just building on those two points in terms of the the sort of breakdown of the media infrastructure, that sort of changing landscape, but with the noise around the global or local issues and and trying to find that truth and that information, you know, politicians should be the ones that should be speaking on those global and those local issues and actually taking those to the people. Arguably, political advertising is, you know, also kind of sucked into a little bit of that quagmire. And as as someone who's been at the center of many significant political advertising campaigns in the wake of the challenges around uh, misinformation and, you know, foreign agents attempting to influence the outcome of elections, have you noticed any major changes either tactically or strategically with regards to political advertising and in particular how it's how it's dealing with in misinformation has it been evolving with the changing trends that we are all experiencing as you know consumers and citizens i mean i think in terms of trying to check and and regulate mis and disinformation in, in a word no or, or at least not from those who have the greatest power to do something about it here in the united states you know regulatory bodies like the fec or the FCC or the FTC, and that's particularly true when it comes to TV ads. I know we've been talking about a lot about ad tech, but just for a second on TV ads, which are playing a major role here in the United States in elections and disinformation, the federal government does regulate truth in advertising, but it only applies to commercial ads, not political ads. And in fact, local broadcast channels here in the United States are required in our law to air a candidate's ad unfiltered no matter how many lies or disinformation has in it. You know, in past election cycles, that has meant that, you know, candidates stretch truth about Candidate's position on Social Security or Medicare, but you know we saw something different this election cycle. This election cycle, we saw you know mis and disinformation from candidates about where to vote, how to vote, the right to vote, how we count votes. Right, the very lies that we saw from former President Trump, we saw from candidates this election cycle in these sort of unregulated TV ads. And so, but when it comes to the cable channels and sort of the social media platforms that I, we've talked a lot about here, it's a different story. But it's really the wild, wild west, and they can do more. But they don't do more for the most part, right? And I think that has really left accountability for misinformation in the advertising space, in the you know political world of the United States, largely to two groups. One is you know groups like Claire's, who have done just phenomenal work. I'm a massive fan of what they're doing. It's so important. But it's whack-a-mole, right? I mean, I think they do a great job of finding and calling out misinformation in the marketplace. But the marketplace is just so flooded. With all this disinformation and all this lies, it's impossible for any outside group to catch it all. So the other group it's really left to is the platforms themselves. And I, I think we can all agree that that is far from ideal, right? Just a few weeks before the election, um, a bunch of researchers from NYU submitted 20 ads with blatantly false information about where and how to vote. Um, they submitted to Facebook, to TikTok, to YouTube. And they were targeting battleground states in Arizona and Georgia. YouTube, to their credit, caught it all, detected it, and and didn't let the ads go through. But 
TikTok approved 90% of the ads. You know, Facebook did a significant number too. The researchers thankfully withdrew their ads and never saw the light of day, but that wasn't thanks to the platforms who are supposed to be responsible for this. It was thanks to the researchers not putting it out there. The reality is these platforms that we rely on so much that Claire has talked about, you know, rely on a patchwork of AI and human checkers, but we have very little insight into that. And the we have transparency about their algorithms and systems are not exactly what I call the hallmark of these companies, right? And so U.S. regulators have shown little interest or ability to do anything about this or to rein in the flood of disinformation. So I think we're a pretty bad spot here, and I fear it's going to get worse, not better. What more do you think from a brand standpoint when it comes to trying to put some integrity back into the media ecosystem and the media landscape? can brands be doing? I mean, are we getting to the point where we need to be diverting consumers to different channels, you know, like reframing that that landscape? Um, uh, Yeah, Doug, I'd be keen to get your take, but also it's a question to both yourselves, and uh, Claire and and Ambika. You know, I think Ambika touched on this a a lot at the beginning about the brands that are dipping their toes in the political waters and the brands that aren't. And I, I think there's tremendous risk with brands engaging in this political environment because of the distrust um, that, that people have for uh, politics at, at this moment and the trust for the platforms that these ads are, are appearing on. So, you know, I appreciate brands that want to get involved in ads and want to make a difference in this world. I choose to try to, you know, associate myself with some of those brands and, and buy their products because I, I, I appreciate what they're doing. But I do think it is a very dangerous and steep slope for them to be going down in this environment because I think that, as I just said, I, I think things are getting worse, not better in terms of misinformation. And I think that uh, consumers are increasingly turning all this off. Um, And that's a problem for the brands. And I think it's a a problem for our information system, as the other guests have clearly laid out. If I could, you know, one of the realizations I've been having throughout this conversation is there is more integrity in brand advertising than there is in any sort of political government-oriented advertising, which is really frightening if you think about it. I mean, advertisers have historically gotten such a bad rap for being full of shit, honestly, and, you know, for advertising being BS and trying to sell people things that they don't really need and driving capitalism and, you know, so forth and so on. But I'm, you know, the chief strategy officer of an ad agency, and every single project we do we approach with so much rigor and really putting the human being at the center. And never have I personally put out work that I felt was bad for humanity or bad for people. And what's so interesting is the government, which is, for all intents and purposes, meant to look after the well-being of its people – is the one kind of spewing the most vitriol and spreading the most misinformation. So there's almost a reorientation that needs to take place in the political advertising realm where we need to go back to strategic integrity. Because strategic integrity is all about identifying the truth and bringing that to light in the most compelling way possible. It's not about making things up. And so to me, as a strategist, when I look at some of this, the work that's out there, it's it's like, it's heartbreaking to me, because I know people who have a very similar job description to what I have, are completely violating the profession. 
And when Joe Biden was running, we actually had the privilege of working on his design identity, um, a few of us associated with mechanism, but also outside of mechanism. And it's through the Creative Alliance, which we do a lot of work with. Jason Harris, our CEO, is the co-founder. And even in that process, you know, it is possibly one of the most loaded elections of all time. There is so much on the line. Never once did it cross our mind to just do whatever people needed to hear to win the election. We always kept everything rooted in the truth. And so I almost encourage, you know, people in the political ad space to kind of look to the advertising space and the brand space on how we are managing to tell the truth and package it in a way that is still powerful and compelling. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, the point you made around sort of strategic truth is nowhere more sort of pertinent and, and poignant than in political advertising. And there is obviously an ar argument that part of the reason we do that within brand is because of our regulation and the standards that we're sort of held to. And without getting too bogged down in some of the political infrastructure, like, do you think that there is a path towards um, or advocacy towards more regulation, you know, across political advertising uh, within the US? Or, you know, to, to Doug's point, is it is it going to get worse before it kind of gets better? Is that route towards bipartisan regulation still too far off? To you, Ambika, but then I, Claire, I'd also like to yeah, get your thoughts on that too and, and yours, Doug. Yeah, I'm really, really curious what Claire and Doug have to say. My instinct is we are on the precipice of it getting worse, right? I mean, the Twitter conversation in and of itself, you know, some of the messaging that was utilized in the midterm election about candidates being child murderers and just, I mean, really terrifying, horrifying language. That's very triggering for people and, and will make people swing dramatically in the opposite direction. So to me, there's, there's regulations also just in the nuance of language and how we speak to one another, decency. But I would love to hear Claire's perspective on, on sort of the more official regulations that we could see come into play. Thank you. There's so much here. The first thing I want to make sure that we're all on the same page about is that we are dealing with extremism. The goal of disinformation, the goal of fascism is to sow chaos so that you cannot tell what the truth is so that you are open to charismatic leadership. That is the goal of Steve Bannon, who is a self-described fascist who has said, the enemy is not the government. The enemy is the media. And how you deal with the media is to flood the zone with shit. Okay, so of course, to Doug's point, disinformation is getting worse because they're winning, because the system is making it profitable and the political system is making it politically advantageous for them to continue to publish lies and disinformation that lead to the scapegoating of marginalized populations that, scape that lead to xenophobia. At the very basis of these lies are conspiracy theories that tell us that other people, not like us, are here to attack our families and that we have to defend them. And the way we defend them is with uh, religious fervency, with, with violence, and with dogmatic undermining of human rights. Okay, so to Doug's point, yeah, this is becoming a political scene, but it's not. And I think that what we're dealing with here is a lot of hope because it is not an extreme point of view to be anti-extremism. It is a moderate 
position to be anti-extremism. And I think that's what we have seen in the midterm election. I think that's what we have seen with Twitter is advertisers overwhelmingly understand what we're dealing with here. And their understanding is that we don't want to deal with disinformation because it leads to violence. Now, back in uh, July, Check My Ads launched a campaign that said, we have to defund Fox News. We have to stop funding Fox News. And the reason we said that against all strategy, it made us look political to do that. The reason we had to do that is because we are here to defund the disinformation economy. And Fox News, unfortunately, happens to be the biggest proponent of the big lie. They happen to be the biggest supporter and defender of the insurrection, of that violence that we saw against the government, against the people of America. And so what we're dealing with here is a position where regular folks who want nothing to do with all this mess have to suddenly step up and say, I'm going to check my ads. I'm going to look into my campaigns to see exactly what I'm supporting. And without being political, I'm going to make sure to stay away from racism, xenophobia, and bigotry. It's that simple. This is not left versus right. This is about journalistic standards versus disinformation. And to Doug's point as well, it will keep getting worse unless advertisers start doing this and unless advertisers start pushing for refunds when their campaigns start to violate the terms of service that ad tech companies have promised. Ad tech companies are saying, we only work with premium publishers. We don't work with publishers who seek to overturn governments, who publish election disinformation, who publish COVID-19 disinformation. This is in their terms of service across the industry, across every DSP, SSP. They have this promise. And advertisers have to look into their campaigns and actually make sure that they are upholding that promise. Yeah, I want to jump off of Claire's point, which I think is, is the right point, which is, I think her take on the midterm is exactly right, which is what voters wanted and what voters voted for. And they voted in historic numbers for a midterm to reject the extremism we're seeing. But I, I think the challenge is going to be that the gulf between what voters voted for and wanted and what they're about to get has probably never been greater, right? Because where we sit right now, it appears that Republicans are going to win the House of Representatives, right? And that they will have a very slim majority, which will give power to the most extreme elements of the Republican Party. The very people that Claire is talking about who benefit from this dis and misinformation and put it out there the most. And so the idea that bipartisanship or government regulation is coming with the political environment I believe we're about to jump in is very unlikely. And so the point that my colleagues are making on the panel here is right. Change is not going to come from inside Washington. Change is going to have to come from outside Washington to Washington, right? And it's going to have to be the brands. It's going to have to be the consumers uh, that rise up and change this discourse because it sure as heck ain't going to be the politicians. And it sure as hell it's not going to be government regulators in our current construct of government. Yeah, there is one piece of regulation that I think is interesting that has already come to pass. And I would like to see how it's enforced. It was called the... Uh, Corporate Transparency Act, and it came into play January 1 of this year. Now, the Corporate Transparency Act requires that corporations in America, even numbered companies, report their beneficial ownership to FinCEN. And I think that's very interesting because on the ad tech system, we're not just dealing with bad faith publishers, publishers that publish lies. We're also dealing with SSPs, these supply side providers that bring publishers to market. And in the ad tech system, there are maybe 20 major demand side providers, but hundreds 
of supply side providers. These are the ad tech exchanges that pull in publishers and bundle them for the industry. And earlier this podcast, we were talking about how propaganda needs legitimacy in the form of ads. They need money and they need data. And what these SSPs are, are banks of ads, money, and data. And they distribute ads, money, and data as they see fit. The problem is, is that we don't know the ownership of many of these SSPs. So what these SSPs are, are weapons for propagandists around the world to distribute ads, money, and data as they see fit. And that is the legislation that we are looking at that we would like to see FinCEN really take up. Who owns the companies who are distributing ads, money, and data throughout this industry? I have a question almost for for Claire and Doug to see if they have a perspective on if there is more power in the people at this point, which is what it seems like this conversation is loosely trending towards until we have more regulations in place. Where are the places that people can be heard and where change can start to bubble up if a lot of these ad tech platforms are feeding misinformation? How do both creators create on platforms and find the spaces to create in which there is a level of legitimacy and they will be seen as legitimate? And where can you know people looking to consume legitimate information really go to find that information? It's a good question. And you know, we all know that these platforms need the revenue from the companies, right? That's how they survive. We've learned recently that Twitter depends on 90% of their revenue comes from advertisers, right? Um, I assume that it is very similar to the other platforms we're talking about here, right? That gives the advertisers tremendous power over these platforms. We see them trying to do it right now with Twitter. We'll see where it goes. We'll see if it works. But they're trying to pull their dollars to see if they can steer Twitter in a better direction. And so uh, to me, that's the best course of action in the short term is that we can get government regulation, which is that these advertisers and these brands hold the platforms accountable and move the platforms in better directions. Because like I said before, the change is not going to come from Washington. The change is going to come to Washington. And so to me, advertisers hold the power. Therefore, consumers hold the power, right? And how consumers you know, use that power to force the advertisers and the advertisers in turn the platforms to be better will be how this gets better. The question of of truth and watchdogging and and consumer activism or accountability is exactly why we are having this conversation. Like, what can we do? So advertisers already, we've said, check your ads. The next step on that is to build inclusion lists, work with private marketplaces, get as much direct advertising as you can, make sure you know where you're at. What can consumers do? They can email advertisers. They can email uh, ad tech executives, which is what we do at Check My Ads. We email ad tech executives and say, you know, your supply chain policy says this, your publisher policy says this, and your behavior says another thing. Just so you know, 60,000 people are watching you right now. We also publish in our newsletter branded stories that are the biggest stories that we find where these Disinformation publishers are also usually tricking advertisers into giving them ads, money, and data. Doug earlier said that what we do is whack-a-mole, and that is true. It is absolutely whack-a-mole, and we're hitting people who are spreading the most disinformation, and we're hitting them in their biggest source of revenue. But at the end of the day, 
this is accountability journalism. What we have to do is be random and public with everything we do, just like journalism, so that people know that they are being watched and they adjust their behavior to be accountable before they're called out. And that is why we all need to pay attention. So to consumers, we say right now our uh, campaign is Fox News based, but it's checkmyads.org slash Fox. And we invite people to give us their email addresses. And then in their inbox every week or two, they get an action email with the name of the ad tech executive, the email address of the ad tech executive and their legal counsel. And then we send them a template that says, this is how you can ask them how they square their behavior with what they actually say. Basically, whether or not they think that this is good business practice. And we find that this makes change. I mean, earlier this year, like in January of 2022, we launched a campaign to defund the insurrectionists. And we identified the six topmost people who had made the most money off of the big lie that led to the political violence on January 6, 2021. Dan Bongino, Steve Bannon, Glenn Beck, Charlie Kirk, who if you don't know him, he is a millennial white nationalist who sent 80 buses to the insurrection. He was uh, monetized by, I think it was Playwire, before we launched this campaign. So for a year, Playwire had in their terms of service, we don't work with publishers who seek to overthrow a government. That was the exact language. And they were working with Charlie Kirk for a year after the insurrection. We've taken millions away from the disinformation economy this year just by bringing this to light. And we're not talking about randomized people. We're talking about the biggest. And so I think that consumers can make a difference here. I, I have been saying for months, it is important to vote, but you can also hold these people accountable. And I have one more thing to say. The midterms just happened. I know we're taking our foot off the gas a little bit. 2024 is something to look out for. In 2024, there will be 70 elections around the world. And this is not just an American problem. It's not just an English problem. Disinformation and the rise of global authoritarianism is what we are talking about here. And India, England, and America, and 67 other countries that's 2.4 billion people will be voting in 2024 and advertisers and ad tech companies need to get their campaigns in order now so that we are not dealing with a much, much worse scene in 2025. Absolutely. And a great way to close off the conversation with the, the awareness of what's coming and the action that both brands, consumers, advertisers can broadly take now and critically around breaking the economic link that's funding misinformation in political advertising and wider, you know, and driving more accountability and transparency. So Ambika, Doug, Claire, thank you very much for your time. It's been a, a great conversation, lots of really important points and clear actions that members across can and wider can take on. Thank you, uh, everyone for making the time. I know it's sort of various early starts there. And thanks for allowing me to be a part of the conversation. Thank you so much for starting the conversation. Thanks for having us. It's a great conversation. Thank you. Also, thank you to our Densu creative editorial and production teams who are powering this whole series. The Nerve Music Library for our soundtrack and to all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you can find lots more like it by subscribing to the series wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, go to ConsciousAdNetwork.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.